0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, what a powerful name that is, the name of Jesus. That's the name that has the ability to change lives. God, I know that there are people here. Maybe they've come for the first time. Maybe, maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And they're wondering what it is they're feeling right now. They're wondering what it is. Is this God talking to me? Is is this some sort of crowd induced frenzy? What is it that's going on right now? And I pray that you reveal to them that it is your Holy Spirit. it is your Spirit God, that has the power to change lives. And it's, it's your Spirit that they feel right now. God, it, it, it's, it's not the band. It's not the lights. It's, it's none of that, God, but it is your Spirit. God, as we sing your praises. God, as we worship you. God, we know that you inhabit the praises of your people. So you are here. And God, you are moving already in people's lives. God, you're already stirring their hearts and making their hearts open to hearing what you have to say, that the truth would penetrate their hearts today. So, God, I pray that you speak to them. Father, I am just a man, a man full of evil. But, God, God, you're perfect, and you have the ability to speak truth into their lives. So, God, I pray that you would speak, and I would not speak, but you would speak today. God, I acknowledge, I acknowledge, God that there is nothing good within me, but that you are good. So Lord, I pray that you speak right now to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So today being a Renewal Sunday and all, I I thought I would bring a new sermon series to you. I thought it would be really cheery and uplifting and you know, maybe we can start off on a high note, you know, because a lot of people have gotten away from from church, maybe, and they haven't been consistent in their attendance, and maybe they hadn't been consistent in their prayer life, and maybe they hadn't been consistent in reading God's Word, and, and they just need to be renewed, right? So I was thinking that. I was praying through that, and then uh, something changed, okay? I don't know what to say besides God just changed my heart and changed my, my mind on what it is we we're supposed to do. And today we're going to be talking about depression in the Christian life. The, the title of the sermon is Though You Slay Me, which comes out of the book of Job, where Job is in turmoil. I mean, his life is a wreck. Things are bad for Job. And it's because God had allowed Satan to do some things in his life to bring his life to a point where it was in a wreck, Okay. Then nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. And Satan had to go to God to ask him, can I do this to your servant Job? And God allowed it to happen. And Job is going through difficult times. I mean, really difficult times. And he's even got some stupid friends that come and talk to him for a little bit. And uh, they say some stuff with some bad theology in it. and, And try to encourage him, but they do it in the wrong way. And Job's words are this. He says, though you slay me, and he's talking to God, okay? He's not talking to Satan, he's talking to God. Though you slay me, I will trust in you. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in what God has in store. I will trust in them. Now, part of the thing that you will see throughout this series is I'm going to be very transparent with you. I, I'm too dumb of a preacher to know that I'm supposed to hold some things in and not, not tell you some stuff. So I'm going to be very transparent with you and talk about my own struggles with depression. You're like, well, you're not supposed to do that. You're, you're supposed to be the leader here. You're supposed to teach us how to be happy all the time. I would rather teach you how to be real all the time. There's, there, there is a ton of folks that believe that when you go into a church environment that the pastor's supposed to have on his tie and his suit and is supposed to dress all nice, stand real tall and always have a smile on his face, shake your hand, have his pearly whites gleaming, you know, smiling all the time. A lot of y'all come in here and you hadn't always seen that on me, have you? I mean, there are days when I look like, man, the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And let me tell you something, that's reality. That's reality. You know why that's reality? Because that's the way some of y'all come in here too. Some of y'all, I mean, I I thought you were going to crawl in here today. Like, (laughs) Lord, (laughs) you know, I mean, some of y'all army crawling in here just to be able to make it to your seat. And then you figure out there's not a seat for you. That's where I said last week, I can't sit there this week. That's all messed up. How am I going to get through it? Lord, you don't love me. You must not love me, Lord, because I sat there last week and it's not available this week. Man, it's just, it's, it's not reality, y'all. And, and I'm going to sit here, I'm going to tell you, I have some bad days. And I have some really bad days. One, one of the greatest preachers in history, his name's Charles Spurgeon. You know, he suffered with depression. Do you know he struggled with depression? He, 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 we're going to talk about some of the stuff he said as he wrote a sermon to depressed people. To try to encourage them because he had been in that place before. And I'm going to share some of that stuff with you in some of the the next uh, few messages. But he struggled with depression. One of the reasons is for most of his life, most of his married life, his wife was an invalid. So he had some difficult times in his life. And I'm telling you that, that yes, I am here to encourage you as your leader and as your pastor, but I'm also here to be real with you, and I want you to know that I struggle with the same stuff you struggle with. Yes, God has called me to come up here and preach this word, and I'm going to be as faithful to that as I possibly can, but I want you to know that, man, when you come and talk to me about your struggles, I'm going to be able to identify with some of the stuff you got going on because I've been through some stuff too, and I'm not going to hide that from you. I'm not, I, what you will hear in the sermon series to come is you will hear me talk about when my daughter died stricken with cancer, a brain tumor. When she died, I, I will talk about that. And I will talk about my, my other daughter, Cassidy, who, who, what went on in her life at that time, how she struggled too, and how it's just real, man. It's just real. So let's stop pretending like it's not real. Let's stop, stop pretending like depression's not a real thing for Christians because Christians, nothing can steal our joy, right? That's what we like to say. Nothing can ever steal our joy, right? Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There's some real hard times and, and you may have a trust in all of eternity and you may have hope in that. But there's some times where you feel like the joy has just been sucked out of you and that's real. That's real. We're going to look at some different characters in the Bible, some, and we're going to see how, you know what, we're not the only ones that struggle with depression. We're going to talk about today a prophet of God, a prophet of God who struggled with depression, who got in a place where where things were not going so good, and he was depressed. You're like, a prophet of God? Man, those Old Testament prophets, they had it going on. They didn't care what nobody said. They would just come up in your face and be like, this is what God said, like it or kill me. You know, I mean, like some of them, they were just like tough like that. But you know what? The reality is, this particular one that we're going to talk about today, man, he was a strong dude. And he had depression. He had depression because it's real. No matter who you are, it's real. We're going to talk about what God did in his life and how God kind of nursed him back to health. And what I want you to see today is that God can nurse you back to health too. If you're depressed or you have been depressed or you will be depressed, God can nurse you back to health. So today we're going to be talking about um, this guy, this Old Testament prophet called Elijah. Now, Elijah was, was a pretty cool dude. And like, um, so what's going on in Elijah's day is, is that there, there's a ruler in town. He's the ruler of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Israel's divided in two, and he's the ruler of the northern kingdom. His name is Ahab, and he's got a wife with a really familiar name to all of us, Jezebel, right? That's a very pretty name. I don't know anybody that's got a... A daughter named Jezebel. If you do, don't tell me about it. But you know that that name has a connotation, right? That's a Jezebel over there. So you know, a name. You, you know, not a lot of people use that name. It's a biblical name. You know, name her Jezebel. No, I don't think that's wise, because she was a wicked, wicked lady, and 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 she was she was kind of a foreigner, and, and she began to fall into this trap of of worshiping this this other god. His name was Baal, also pronounced Baal, but Begin to worship this other God and, and and you know what our God says about worshiping other gods, right? You know what it says, like don't do it, right? Yeah. That's the simple version, right? Don't do it. It's bad. It's not gonna lead to to, to good things for you if you worship other gods. That which includes, by the way, this may be a shocker to you, worshiping yourself. That's that's the biggest other God we gotta struggle with today, right? That's a, that's a, I mean, yeah, there's some other religions out there. there, there there's, there's the Islam faith, and, and we, we got all that, and like, you know, Mormonism and, and all that, and, and like all kinds of crazy stuff out there. But I guarantee the biggest thing that we struggle against, the biggest God that we face worshiping against, would be ourselves. What's going on right here? When we say, man, my way, I want to do what I want. Give me my way. Not your way, God, my way. And then you become your own God and you begin to worship that God is what happens. But here, Elijah, he's been told by Ahab that they're going to kill him. Now, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to have it up on the screen too. But um, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we read uh, about how Elijah is being pursued by Ahab and, and like, Obadiah, who's hanging out with Elijah, he's like been hiding out prophets up in the caves because they are killing off the prophets of God. They're trying to wipe them off the face of the earth, trying to do away with the prophets of the one true God because Jezebel and Ahab are are falling into this Baal worship stuff. And and so the the prophets are on the run from from Ahab and Jezebel. But, But Elijah says, all right, Obadiah, go tell them Here's where I'm going to be. And Elijah, he he says, go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill you. But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty in whose presence I stand that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. And he goes up to Mount Carmel and they have this showdown. And and what Elijah says, he says, all right, let's gather all the people of God, all the Israelites together. and, And let me tell you what's going on. You're worshiping something other than the one true God, and it's not okay with the one true God. He says, so we're going to have a showdown. My one God, just me, is one prophet against Baal and Asherah and all their prophets. There are 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who show up, and they're all supported by Jezebel. So they got the support of the king and queen and and they're there, and Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build altars, and we're going to see whose God consumes the altars. And, and you guys know the story. A lot of you know the story that basically what happens is uh, the, the Baal uh, uh, worshipers, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they begin to like call out to their gods and they begin to cut themselves and they're screaming and they're, they're carrying on and they're flailing around and rolling around on the ground and, and, and time passes, hours pass, and, and nothing happens to the altar. It just sits there, right? It just sits there. And, and Elijah, he starts talking smack to him a little bit. I love that, man. I love a smack-talking prophet, you know, and he's like, He's like, well, maybe just maybe you're. I mean, I I, can, I could imagine me being like this a little bit, you know, because I'm kind of a smart aleck anyway. So he's like, well, maybe maybe your God, maybe he's he's gone on vacation, maybe maybe he's he's gone on vacation, and that's the reason your altar's still sitting there. And, and, and or, or maybe this, this is my favorite. He goes, maybe he's gone to the bathroom, you know, maybe your altar is still sitting there and nothing has happened because your God has gone to the bathroom and and. <laughs> and he's reading right now, okay, right? <laughs> that's all right. You'll laugh about that in about 30 minutes. So anyway, so or, or maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's asleep, and that's the reason that, that your altar is still sitting there, and he hasn't heard you. So, man, they freak out. They start cutting themselves more, screaming more, dancing around, doing all kinds of backflips, and still nothing happens to the altar. And then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. He says, you know, I built this, this altar out of wood and stuff, but what I want you to do is go get some water. He says, go get some water, and let's, let's dump the water on the, on the altar. And he says, no, that's not good enough. Dig, dig a trench around it, and we're going to put some more water, water on it until it not only consumes the altar, but also consumes the trench around it. And he calls out to his God. He says, God, reveal yourself to them. Reveal, show yourself to them. It's just not about me and my power and my might, God. But it is about your power and your might. He says, if if Baal is God, then worship him. But, But if our one true God, if he is really God, then worship him. And stop playing these games with your life and who you worship. He calls out to heaven. And God reveals himself. He consumes the altar. He consumes all the water. It's all gone. And they say, okay. Elijah goes, okay, worship God. Really worship him now. Worship him with your life. And they stand up, and they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And things are really good at that moment. And they end up killing all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. And they are are like... All about the Lord, he is God at this moment. But then we find ourselves. We find ourselves in chapter 19. And this is where, you know, Elijah, he's on cloud nine right now, so to speak, right? So things are really going good in Elijah's life, and, and, and man, he's showing out, and God's showing out, and like, it's, it's good right now, because, because Elijah, he's in tune with God right now, and God's hearing his prayers, and, and the people of God have responded to to, to what has happened here, and, and, and they're like worshiping God for once. In a long time, they're worshiping God. Let me tell you something, that, that in your life, there are going to be times when you have very high mountain peaks and your relationship with God and your understanding of who God is and the character of God. He's going to seem very real and very present in your life. And and like we have this at youth camp a lot. So students, you know what I'm talking about. Like you go to camp and like everything is like way up here. The energy's really high. You can't wait to get back to church when you go home and you're all fired up. You can't wait for small groups to happen because you're all fired up. And then something happens. You come back to life. You come back to the friends at school that aren't necessarily all about God so much. You come back to, you know, the influence of drugs and alcohol around you, and you come back down to reality. You got the stresses of school and grades and all that kind of mess, and then all of a sudden you feel like, man, everything that I had worked for, everything that I had done to grow that relationship with God, it feels like it's been sucked out of me right now. And adults, we have the same thing, man. We come in here on a, on a Sunday, right? On a Sunday. We're all fired up about Jesus. Like, man, we got cold chills running up and down our arms, you know. God is good. We got hands raised. And, and man, things are good. And then Monday morning comes, right? I, I think God put Sunday on Sunday because he knew Monday morning was coming. You know what I mean? Monday morning comes. What comes on Monday morning? It's a four-letter word we all don't dislike, right? W-O-R-K. I almost put an E on that. (laughs) W-O-R-K. Work comes and we're like... (laughs) So this is what we do. So I I, I like illustrations. So this is how we come into church on Sunday, right? We're doing this number. And then we get in here, and God starts working, right? So he starts talking to us. We start worshiping, and then, like, the Holy Spirit's working. And we're before we know it, by the end of service, man, like, like Kenny's done preach some weird message or something. And then, and then we start worshiping at the end, and we're all like, yeah, yeah, this is good. God is good. He is real. He is close. And, and man, he, he loves me, and, and he, he wants good things in my life, and he wants me to be close to him. He wants my faith to be strong in him. He wants me to trust him, and I trust him. And then Monday morning comes. You know where we are on Monday morning? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? Monday morning comes. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm about to ground zero again. This, this is no good, man. This is no good. But That's reality, y'all. And here, what do we see in Elijah's life? What do we see what's going on with him? In chapter 19 of 1 Kings, it says, when Ahab got home and told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them well that's no good y'all that's no good so Elijah you know he's just done this whole thing they killed the prophets of Baal and and word gets back to Jezebel this has happened and she says Elijah I'm coming after you I'm coming after you. Now, what would you assume would happen here? I mean, God just poured fire down from heaven. Surely to goodness he can do that on Jezebel's head, right? Like surely something could happen to Jezebel. She drinks something and maybe it's got a little bit of food poisoning in it. And, you know, before you know it, she's got botulism. She's laying on her bed and she's dead, right? You would think God would do that, right? Well, that's not exactly what happens here. She sends word to Elijah that... May my gods strike me dead if by this time tomorrow you're not dead, that I have not killed you, man. Well, you would think Elijah, being all bad and bold like he was, you would think the next verse would not read like it does. But this is what it says in 1 Kings 19, beginning of verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. There have been times in my life, y'all, where uh, I've been afraid. And uh, I may not have physically run away because I didn't get in my car and drive to Montana like I've thought about doing before. But in my heart, I ran away. I fled from the the people that love me, the realities of The fact that I'm cared for and I have a ton of people around me that love me dearly. I fled from that before. I was at a low point in my life and maybe I just had a high point in my life where things seemed to be going good. and Everybody was healthy and well and then all of a sudden cancer came and I wasn't so good anymore. And instead of being all like, man, you know what? God's got this. I'm all about this, you know. God's going to get me through this. Instead, what I did was I got afraid. And I ran, and there's was even a time in my life, y'all, where I felt like I didn't want to live anymore. And that's real. And there's some people in this room that have felt that way too. Elijah got afraid. Fled for his life and went to Beersheba. Sheba a town in Judah, he left his servant there. He went alone into the wilderness and traveled, traveling all day. He sat down in a solitary, under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. it doesn't hit you square in the face I don't know what will now listen to me I know that not everybody struggles with depression to the point of wishing that they were dead suicide is not something that every single person struggles with I know but for those of you that do struggle with suicide let me tell you something those thoughts are real I know they're real because I've had them and I've had them plenty of times and there are plenty of times when I prayed this prayer to God God kill me I'm probably not supposed to say that to you as your pastor. But I'm a man. I'm a man. And I've had some low points in my life where I have prayed that prayer. God killed me. And Elijah, he's in that place. He says, I've had enough. I've had enough. had enough i can not do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Notice, notice something here, y'all. This, this is important. This is important. He fled. He even left his servant as he fled. So what does that mean? It says, in case you were wondering, in case you didn't know, it says, in solitary. He was alone. You know what the worst thing you can do in your life when you're in a place of depression, when you're in a place of sadness that you can't get out of? You know what the worst thing you can do is? Get alone. It's the worst thing you can do. Now, I'm telling you this right now when you're feeling pretty good about your life and you're not in a place of suicide and you're not in a place of deep depression. I'm telling you this now so that one day when you are in that dark place and you're wondering if God loves you and you're wondering what truth God may have told you, that you'll remember one truth and that is don't get alone. Don't get alone. Notice that there's a bunch of people in here. Where could I possibly go to not be alone? Where is a place where people gather on a regular basis to encourage me and let me know that they love me and that that God loves me? Where is a place I could possibly go? I can't imagine such a place as that. Simple church. Or any church for that matter. Go there. Don't be alone. Don't be alone. Now I want you to notice something here. So Elijah goes and he sits under a broom tree, and he's alone, and he starts begging God to kill him. Now, God knows us better than we know ourselves, right? We know that. Well, let me, know, let me let me let you notice something here that as he's as he's praying for God to kill him, does he really want to be dead? No. You know why I know that? Because he was afraid and he fled. If he wanted to be dead, you know what he would have done? He would have stayed, right? He could have been dead. He had that choice. If he really wanted to die, all he had to do was hang around. Jezebel was going to take care of that for him. But instead, he got afraid and he fled. And then he gets alone and he starts being, he allows his thoughts to start just going crazy in his mind, right? That's what happens when we're alone, right? Because you don't have somebody to pour truth into you, what happens is you start to tell lies to yourself. Right? So you start to tell yourself lies and you start to go down this this spiral and before you know it you're at rock bottom don't know where to go, don't know what's going on you don't know how you got in this place and all of a sudden man you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Don't be alone. Now, we're going to see what Elijah does here. He's alone but then something happens. Then He lay down and slept under a broom tree but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside him was some, baked bre- some bread baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Now one thing I want you to notice is that the angel came to nurse him back to health. And even though Elijah was alone, you know what he was still doing? Which was, I believe that this was a, a catalyst for the angel being able to do a work in his life and an angel being able to awaken him to the fact that he was not alone. You know what Elijah did? You know who he called out to to kill him? He talked to God about it, right? Worst case scenario is that you find yourself alone and maybe it's 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe it's 4 a.m. in the morning and Kenny's not responding to his text messages and you feel like you're alone, right? Right? Like, there's nobody in your house, you're in your own house, you don't know where to go, you can't go to Waffle House, you just, like, I, I don't know how to not be alone. I have a place where you can go, and that is you can call out to God. Even if you have to tell him, God, I wish I was dead. Even if you have to be so real with God that you say, God, I, I'm in this place, this deep, dark place of despair right now, and I just wish I was dead, at least you're talking to him. At least you're talking to him. Because the worst thing you can do is shut down those communication lines. If you have a husband, a wife, a child, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, you know what the worst thing you can do to break down that relationship, right? Is stop talking. Right? That, that, that's when things start to really, the wheels really start to come off is when you stop talking, when you stop communicating. The good news about Elijah is that he, he kept talking. Now, what he was saying wasn't real pretty. Let me tell you something. You can tell God anything. You know why? Because he already knows. We hear that all the time, right? Because he he hears the cries of our heart. I mean, the Holy Spirit can literally hear from your heart what you cannot verbalize with your mouth. Did you know that? That he already knows what's going on inside of you, but you still need to keep talking. Okay, you, you can't just say, well, well, God knows what I need. He knows where I'm at and, and I'm just going to lay here in my pity and then I'm going to tell myself lies. No, what happens is when you begin to talk out loud to God or even begin to pray in your mind to God, the truth of God starts to come back to you and you stop telling yourself so many lies. That's why praying is so important because you're literally talking to God and telling, you're telling God truth that he already knows. You know you're really telling the truth to is to you. To you. And then you tune into the Holy Spirit and say, all right, God, you, you respond now. And I, I'm going to listen to you, God. What are you going to say? And then what are you doing? You're communicating with God. You're communicating with God. At least, at least, if you find yourself alone, at least don't stop talking to God. My angel comes and starts making a pizza for him, right? Right? breadsticks. I don't know if they're covered in cheese. All it says is it baked bread on a hot stone. He had a jar of water. So he ate and drank, lied down. You know what I hear in this? He said, God knows that he was physically exhausted, right? God knew that about him. You know what happens to me on Sunday mornings a lot of times? I get physically exhausted. I mean, to wave my hands around as much as I do and crawl around up here on the stage, man, I get physically exhausted. There's a lot of pressure, y'all. Y'all look at me with those staring eyes, you know, and it freaks me out sometimes. And and so I get physically exhausted. I believe Elijah, because you imagine the stress level of, all right, if that altar sits there with all the water on it, it's probably not going well for Elijah, you know what I mean? Like, if he just sits there and nothing happens, it's probably not going to be a good day for all Elijah and his buddies. Obadiah's probably over there going, All right, Elijah, come on, baby. Come on, we need you to come through right here. All right, God, you got to do something. Elijah's just called everybody else out. All right, let's, let's see this thing happen. So he's physically exhausted, so he sleeps. God knew that. He knows our physical needs. He, he doesn't ignore our physical needs, too. Now, it may not be, he, he may not supply you with a gourmet five-course dinner, but here he supplied bread and water for Elijah to eat so he'd be full and he cared for his physical needs, right? Because he was exhausted, so he slept and then he ate. And it says, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more for your journey ahead will be too much for you. Now, what, what's the angel here saying? The angel's saying, You got something else to do. Elijah's probably like, What journey? I was going to die under this tree. What journey are you talking about? And I believe the angel of the Lord is setting the stage to tell Elijah, There's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. There's still some stuff you got to do, man. There's still some stuff you got to do. You know, I had. I had planned on uh, preaching all the way through uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We're going to save the rest of it, maybe for next week. I feel like God impressed upon my heart to tell you a little more about my story. So here's what happened. So my daughter... She had cancer, right? She had a brain tumor that came up. We thought she was just tired. And we thought maybe she was sick a little bit later. And then we took her to the doctor. And he said, you know what? You need to take her to Children's Hospital because she may be really sick. She may have meningitis. And, And as the sermon series goes on, I'll probably tell you some more details about it. But I remember this. I remember when we were sitting in that emergency room. And I remember I was sitting on a bench, and my wife was, sitting, was kind of standing off to the side because she couldn't hardly sit because the doctor had said that he wanted to talk to us. And I've told you this story a million times, and I'll tell it a million more because this is important. This is my story, so I'm going to share it with you. So he's talking to us, and he says, I don't know how to tell you this. your little girl has a brain tumor. I could tell you the number of cotton balls in the jar on the counter. I could tell you the I, I could tell you exactly how things were placed, the labels and the jars on the counter I, because time stood still in that moment. Because I was terrified, y'all. God had just recently called me to ministry, to gospel ministry. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even know what that looked like, but God had put that calling on my life, and I was in the process of responding to that calling in my life, and now my little girl's got a brain tumor and I was afraid Well, what happened was she went through 15 months chemotherapy and radiation she stayed happy and and we got to do a lot of things in those 15 months but at the end of that time she deteriorated really fast the last couple days of her life um, she really couldn't open her eyes or speak to us she just laid there in the hospital bed and she would kind of make motions to us and she would move around but she really couldn't talk I so desperately wanted her to talk I wanted to hear from her again you know doctors came and talked to us They said you know what she's got a blockage in her spinal cord from the cancer and that's what's causing her to not be able to talk not be able to to open her eyes very much and he said we can do this little bypass thing around the around the tumor and we can we can get the spinal fluid going back around and I said I said for what for what I said I I don't I don't wanna watch my little girl lay in a hospital bed for another two months, unable to speak or unable to, to do much, unable to enjoy life, that ultimately the same same thing's gonna happen, that she's gonna she's gonna move from this life to the next. So I don't want that for the last few months of her life. And the look on his face is one of sheer disbelief that a father would say, You know what? You know what, we've done everything that we can. I don't want to put her through another surgery. I don't want to put her through something else. She passed away, y'all. She passed away. And I miss her every single day. There are some days I feel like I'm right back to square one where she just died yesterday. And it's hard. And as your pastor, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that or not. But I'll tell you this. I'll just be completely real with you. And a few days after that, and a few days after that, I prayed that God would kill me because I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't like living. And look at other people with their kids, and it just hurt because I was full of jealousy. I don't want to live anymore. All these thoughts we'll just load everybody up in the car and we'll go crank the car and sit in the car in the garage. We'll all go to sleep. And I went back to that gospel ministry that he had called me to. I went back to that. Just six days prior to her being diagnosed, I sent off my transcript so that I could could go to a seminary. And I went back to that. In my mind, when I was in that low place of Just total despair. I just wanted to die. I went back to that place and I could hear God in a small, still voice. I could hear him say, what about everybody else? What about everybody else? God uses us to impact other people. Through his power and his Holy Spirit, he's the one that causes change. But he's the one that he uses us for whatever reason. So I had to go back in my mind to that calling to gospel ministry. And I heard him say, what about everybody else? And I had no idea. I had no idea that a dozen years later that that would mean a place like Simple Church. It hurt, and I wanted to die. But God said, I'm not done with you yet. There's still work for you to do. Yeah, he nursed me back to health for the journey that lay ahead. I don't, know, I don't know if you're hurting today. I don't know if you've lost somebody you love and, and, and you don't want to go on. I don't, I don't know. But I promise you this, God does. And I can promise you something else. He's still got work for you to do. Maybe today he, he's, he's giving you just a little bit. To prepare you for the journey, let me pray. Father, God, you remember that day. You were there when that that day when I held her hand and I prayed, and God, she died. I know you were there. I felt you. God, and you know the days after when I I hurt so bad that I just asked you to kill. Lord up. I know I was wrong. I know I was wrong for that. Just God, I know there was still work to do. I know there was still a ton of work to do. God, I thank you for nursing me back to health for the work that lay ahead. God, I couldn't do it without you. I couldn't do it without you. And there are people here (coughs) God, they need to know that they can't do it without you. God, please, please, Father, speak to them the way you spoke to me and the way you spoke to Elijah. God, speak gently to their hearts and encourage them today. They need you. They need you just like I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand